Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Okay, we're in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we're in week three. We've kind of done the first two weeks and looking at the first half of Ephesians chapter one. And today what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the second half of Ephesians chapter one. What we've done over the last two weeks is we've looked at how Paul uh, kind of gives us this picture of who we are in Christ, our identity, that as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we are in Christ. The, The truest thing about you and I is that we are in Christ. That is our position. We, we identified the fact that the book of Ephesians is divided into two, six chapters in total. The first three chapters being about our position, who we are as people in Christ. And then the next three chapters, chapters three to six, looking at how we now live in light of who we are. So it's position first and then our practice. And so what we've done is we've, we've looked at this in detail, especially last week, about around our identity, who we are in Christ. And we looked at the fact that we are blessed, we are chosen, we're adopted, we're holy and blameless, redeemed and forgiven, we're sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are loved by our God. That is who you are, and that is who I am. Blessed, chosen, adopted, holy and blameless, redeemed, forgiven, sealed, and loved. That is who we are. That is our position And so today, as we wrap up Ephesians chapter one, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look a little bit more at who we are. But what we're gonna do now is kind of journey with the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and we're gonna kind of end by looking at the second part of Ephesians chapter one, turning our attention to not just who we are, but looking at specifically who Jesus is. You see, because if we can see him, Paul makes it pretty clear, If we can see him, then what will happen is we will see ourselves and our lives and our world and our city in light of who he is, and that changes everything. So Paul tells us who we are, and then he's like, actually, wait, to to confirm and affirm who you are, let me talk to you about Jesus, because if you can see Jesus and you know the character and the person of Christ, that will affirm and confirm who you are in him. So that's what we're going to do today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15, and we're going to go down to verse 23. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let's read that again. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty workings of his strength. 
He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. I love that passage. Caitlin, that's my son. He's playing with his jet airplane, but that needs to stop. <laughs> Caitlin, can you just control your son? Um, Emily said to me before the service, as I kind of read this as a test run, she said, uh, how can you not have a good message if you're preaching from that chapter? I mean, it's just a beautiful passage. Paul, he, he planted this church in Ephesus and, and he, he set them up, he pastored them, he spent two and a half years with them and, uh, and he writes them a letter after having not seen them for seven years. So, so there's this pastor who deeply loves this community, who, who uh, adores them, who's been praying for them and he writes them this letter seven years on from having, uh, having left them to go and plant more churches. But what is the, the thing that Paul prays for for this church, this church that he deeply loves? He says, he prays in verse 17 and 18, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. See, friends, Paul is praying that this church may have the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they may know God better. That's the bottom line. He prays that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened so that they may know Jesus better. Because Paul knows that if we know Christ better, if we have a deeper level of understanding and knowledge of our glorious Father, we would have a better idea of who we are. And when we have a better idea of who we are, then we will know how we're supposed to live. It's really simple. It's know who you are, in Christ, know who he is, and then you will know what to do. That's really the, the theme of the book of Ephesians. Know who you are, know who he is, and then you will know what to do. And so Paul is praying here that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know God better. He's praying that not that we would just know about him, that we would just know information about him, but he's praying that we would actually see him because when we see him, everything changes. He wants us to experience the fullness of Jesus' power and his beauty so that we can know him better. And so Paul spent this chapter revealing who we are in Christ, the first half of this chapter, and then he moves on and he prays that we, that we would know who God is because when we know who he is, we will know who we are and then we will know what we're called to do. So Paul prays, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and he prays for three things that will happen when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. He, he prays that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so that we would know the hope of his calling. 
we'll know what we're called to do. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. He's praying that we would know his calling, that we would know that we are his inheritance and that we will know the power from which we live, move and have our being. And so Paul wants us to see who we are in Jesus and then he's gonna, he wants us to see who Jesus really is. So Paul prays. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened. But how? Me and you, 2,000 years ahead, how are the eyes of our hearts enlightened? Well, I think there are a number of ways in which we can you know, pursue things like spiritual disciplines and, and, and practice these disciplines, things like prayer and fasting and and getting into the secret place of the Lord, listening prayer, uh, meditating uh, on God and, and inviting the Holy Spirit to illuminate Christ to us. A number of things that we can do so that we can get a revelation of who Jesus is so that we can know him better and know who we are and then know what we're called to do. But I think the primary way and the way that I wanna highlight for us today, the way in which we can And it's probably the easiest way for us to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we may know God more, know God better, so that we can know who we are at a deeper foundational level and know the reality of what we're called to do is by opening up our Bibles. I really believe that. There are a number of you that are gonna be going away for the summer number of you that we're sadly saying goodbye to because you're wrapping up your degrees and you're moving off to other ventures in life. I think for me as a pastor, if one thing that I can implore us to do over a summer break where we've maybe got more time on our hands, over new seasons in our life, or for most of us who are kind of just carrying on through the rhythms and maybe gonna get a little bit more hectic as kids come on uh, summer break, It's amazing how they call it summer break, but it feels like my life just gets more busy. But anyway, one of the things that I can invite us to do is to open up our Bibles and engage with God's word. I firmly believe that the most practical thing that we can do to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened is to fall in love, maybe for the first time, or maybe again with the word of God. Now we know that the Bible is the word of God. God of the universe reveals himself to us in the written word. Think about that for a moment. God could have chosen and does choose in multiple ways to reveal himself to us. But the primary way that God reveals himself to you and I is through the written word. We are told that the word of God is complete, lacking nothing, that we should and don't need, we should not and don't need to add anything to God's word. The person and character of Jesus is revealed to us in fullness in the word of God. Jesus himself and the father refer to the son as the word of God. Jesus is quite literally God's word. And we live on this beautiful side of redemptive history where we have access to, like no other generation before us, the word of God. Bible. And I believe that if we spend time in God's word, God will reveal himself to us. I truly believe that. 
as we invite the Holy Spirit into our practice of reading the Bible, we will grow not only in knowledge, but also in revelation and understanding of who Jesus is. And then once we know who Jesus is, we will know at a greater level who we are. And when we know who we are, we'll know what we're called to do. It's really the most basic, foundational, and practical way that we can live out our faith is by diving deep into God's word. Because as you learn more about Jesus, you'll fall more and more in love with him. And let me tell you, when you fall more in love with Jesus, you'll want to pray. You'll want to you know, pursue him. You'll want to follow the call of God on your life. You'll actually have a desire to stop, pause, and listen to what Jesus has to say. You'll have a deeper level of commitment to pursuing the ways of the kingdom and establishing his kingdom in our city. You'll have a deeper commitment to being part of the body of Christ, the church. You'll want to serve. You'll want to, and you will slowly over time become more like Jesus, and you will eventually start to do the very things that Jesus did. Starts in God's word. We'll see him. We'll know him. It'll lead to encounters with him. And the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so that we can know God more. I read a book about 10 years ago now. Completely changed my life. Outside of the Bible, it's the most influential book I've ever read. The title of the book is Eat This Book. And it's written by a pastor and author. His name's Eugene Peterson. The very first time I read those three simple words, my entire life changed. Eat this book. Eugene Peterson was referring to the Bible. He's saying that we can't live off other people's revelations of Jesus. He's saying that we cannot just have and eat little sound bites of the Bible, you know, a verse here and a verse there and open up my Bible randomly and hope that God speaks to me. The encouragement is to devour God's book, to eat it, to consume the word of God and let the word of God nourish our souls. You, you see, we cannot eat a full balanced diet on snacking on just the pleasures and the, the foods that we like kind of the most. We actually need to eat full and healthy meals. And the encouragement in this book is to eat the book, to consume God's word. And it changed my life more than any other book I've ever read outside of the Bible for the simple reason that it birthed in my heart a deep longing and passion to consume God's word. And I fell in love with the Bible. Nothing has changed my life more like opening up the word of God and inviting the Holy Spirit to root these words deep in my heart. Nothing. And here's the thing. The more I read the Bible, the more I love Jesus. And the more I love Jesus, the more I'd experience him and encounter him in the everyday stuff of my life. I wouldn't have to rely on other people's kind of uh, song and dance I wouldn't have to rely on other people's prayers or other people's revelation of Jesus or other people's encouragement over my life. I could come to the word of God, read, enjoy, delight in Jesus and experience and encounter him more in my everyday life. And the more I would experience and encounter Jesus in my everyday life, the more the eyes of my heart would be enlightened so that I would be able to understand what Paul prays, the hope of his calling, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power in my life. In short, my life with Jesus, my life with Christ was found when I opened the Bible. In John 6, Jesus says to us, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Eat this book. Consume Jesus. Nourish your soul with Jesus himself. Let's turn to page one of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. God says in the first pages of the Bible, first page number one, he said, let there be light. And there was light. On the first page of the Bible, what we discover is that there is a God and this God is not silent. This is a speaking God. He creates creation with his words, with his voice. The words of God carry power to bring order out of chaos, to bring something out of nothing. The words of God carry power. So we see that there is a God, we see that this God speaks, and we see that the very words that come out of the mouth of God actually carry with it power that changes reality as we know it. Not only does the Bible begin claiming that there is a God that speaks, but it also continues, as we continue to read the Bible, to tell us that there is a God who continues to speak. A God that continues to speak individually to his people. So I believe that for every single one of us sitting here today, that it is our inheritance to engage with the word of God. I wanna tell you, the Bible is your inheritance. The Bible is Jesus himself, and God has revealed the son to us in the written word. Now, it doesn't matter how ADD you are, or how short your attention span might be, or how many issues you may have around reading and comprehension. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It does not matter if you're like, well, I'm not really a reader. I enjoy like watching TV and that kind of thing. Maybe you're thinking, oh, the Bible, that's like really frustrating. Like I don't really understand it. It doesn't make sense. Um, you kind of think, well, that's for like the smart people to like read that stuff and interpret it. I want everyone here today to know really practically, that it is your inheritance to have a vibrant, flowing heart in the word of God so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know God more. It is your inheritance, friends, to burn with passion. It is your inheritance to have a heart that is set on fire when you read the Bible. Not all day, doesn't happen every single time you open the Bible. It's not like every single time you open God's word, there's like a deep passion in your heart and you're like, ah, oh, Jesus. But, but most of the time. My hope today is that we can just kind of fling open the gates to the Bible and just invite you into a love affair with God's word so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know God more. I believe that the Holy Spirit loves to enter your hearts through the word of God. He wants to reveal Jesus to you. The best way to do that is through the Bible. Corey Russell, an amazing pastor and preacher, he, he says, the Holy Spirit's favorite chariots to ride is the word of God. God wants to set you on fire with his word. Sometimes we make it like kind of the, the very clever, clever academic people or like the Bible people. And then like the more charismatic people who enjoy like prayer and like worship, they're the Holy Spirit people. And like we kind of, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit rides into our hearts and burns, it births a deep passion and love for Jesus while riding in on God's word. 
If you want a deeper revelation of Jesus, if you want to be filled with power from on high, if you want to operate and move in the power of the Spirit, it's, it's by engaging in the Word of God and creating a pattern and a rhythm in your life where you're regularly coming into the space of engaging with God's Word. Now, the best example I can think of when it comes to the eyes of our hearts being enlightened is found in Luke chapter 24. So we're gonna kind of read through this passage. It's a really fun, kind of interesting story. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke 24, and we're gonna look in uh, verse 13, and we're gonna read through it. What we have here, if I can just set the scene, is Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again. There are reports that he's risen again, but not everybody believes the reports. And there's two disciples. They're on a road on the way to this town called Emmaus. And um, they are having a discussion. They're kind of despondent. In fact, there, there might be this underlying tone of anger and disappointment at the fact that like Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, has now died and all of their hopes and dreams of being liberated and set free from this Messiah have completely been washed away and they're despondent and they're walking on a road and they're having kind of a heated, passionate discussion around the fact that like Jesus is dead. And so you've got these two disciples, they're on the road and either their eyes are blinded or you know, Jesus is wearing some kind of disguise, I don't know, but Jesus shows up and they don't recognize him. It's kind of a funny story. So let's read through it together. Now the same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. They're discussing the fact that Jesus has died and that there's these rumors and they're, not, they're kind of frustrated. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk alongside them. I love this. We think the Bible's a bit boring, but like just kind of imagine the scene. There's two dudes, they're pretty angry, feeling despondent. They're walking on a road to Emmaus. They're, they're having a discussion. Imagine, dirt road, there's probably no one else around them. Next thing, out of nowhere, this other dude shows up and just starts walking alongside them, like third wheel, just like sidles up to them and joins the conversation. Okay, imagine the scene. But they were prevented from recognizing him, so they did not know who he was. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other while you're walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. So remember, this is after the resurrection. There had been reports that um, Jesus had, had risen and they didn't quite get it. They were sad, they had no understanding. And, I th and we'll learn that one of the guys, his name is Cleopas. So I think maybe one of the reasons at least one of them is angry and sad and upset is because his name is Cleopas. I mean, can you imagine? But anyway, they're walking along the street. The one named Cleopas, poor dude, answered them, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things? Like, they're like, hey, don't you know? Haven't you heard? about Jesus of Nazareth and like what, what has happened, he's dead. Cleopas is pretty bold. He's just like, hey dude, don't you know? Don't you know what's happening? Jesus' response here, he's, he, Jesus like, what things? What, what things? I can just imagine Jesus like kind of twinkle in his eye, being like, okay, what, like tell me, what things? I love how the Bible is just so vivid, right? It's not just a boring story. You can imagine these scenes. When you read the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the eyes of your your heart and your mind to actually see what's taking place here. Jesus is a little smirk in his eye, what things? 
So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping, I I like that point, side note, but we were hoping. These disciples are angry and frustrated and despondent because they had ideas about how the Messiah should do things based on their own terms. I think this is probably why they were prevented from seeing Jesus because they started to pursue the things that they wanted instead of leaning into what God had already done. Anyway, so let's move on. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. And then he goes on and talks about the woman and them seeing Jesus and he goes through the next couple of verses. Basically, he's just like, man, we thought this was, this was the Messiah. He was gonna save us and he was gonna do everything the prophets told us. And Jesus just opens up and he says, he said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, check this out, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of scripture. All right, Moses, Moses was the first five books of the Old Testament, right? So it's, it's uh, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he goes through and he says all of the prophets. So basically Jesus takes them on a Bible study journey through the Old Testament. And it says he interprets for them, meaning he explains to them or expounds for them all of the scriptures concerning himself. Remember, the New Testament had yet to be written and published in uh, ancient, ancient Israel. They had access to the Old Testament. Jesus takes them on a guarded Bible study through the Old Testament, showing him all of the scriptures concerning himself. So first thing we need to realize here, is that Jesus is in all of the Bible. In all of scripture, it's revealing Jesus to us. Secondly, Jesus is in all of the Bible, and if you want to encounter Jesus, he's in the Bible. Sometimes we think like there's random stories in the scriptures and they're not really relevant for you and me 2,000 years later, they are. Jesus takes them on a guided Bible study tour through the Bible, showing them himself. Do you know, friends, that Jesus doesn't just show up in the New Testament? It's not like you kind of turn the page and then it's like Matthew chapter one and there Jesus arrives. In fact, John's gospel tells us in the beginning was the word. We're told that Jesus himself is the word and the word or Jesus was with God and the word was God. Jesus shows up in Genesis chapter one on the first page of the Bible. Jesus was there in Genesis. He was part of the creation story. He is the word. The word creates order out of chaos, something out of nothing. Jesus is the very word of God, empowered by the spirit to bring about creation. So Jesus is there. Jesus is in all of scripture. And so Jesus, what he does is he takes these disciples on a Bible study tour through the Old Testament about himself. And I wanna tell you, this is what Jesus wants to do with you and me. He wants to take us on a, guided Bible study tour through the scriptures so that we can see him, so that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we can know him more. He wants to reveal himself to us in the written word of God. Let's go back to our story in Luke 24, verse 28. They came near the village where he was going and he gave them the impression that he was gonna go further. 
but they urged him. So at this point, they'd really enjoyed what he had kind of, they still didn't know it was Jesus, but they were like, wow, there's something about this guy. Like, we need to hang out with him more. So they urged him to stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. We're gonna to come to the communion table at the end of the service. We're gonna take the bread, the cup, and we're gonna remember Jesus. And Jesus is performing this act with his disciples. He takes the bread and the cup, he blesses it, breaks it, and he gives it to them. Get this, the eyes of their hearts are opened as they come to the communion table, right? They recognize him, but he disappears from their sight. So that's also a bit strange, like the Bible, okay? Jesus is there, they, have, they see it's him, and then poof, he's gone. Kind of weird. They say to each other, this is great. Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was walking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road and packing the scriptures to us? While he opened up the Bible. As Jesus opens up the Bible, their hearts start to burn with a passion and an understanding that this guy, there's something different about him. Did our hearts not burn when he opened the scriptures to us? Light Church, it is our inheritance to have a burning heart. It is our inheritance to have a heart that is set on fire for the ways of Jesus. It, it is for as our inheritance for the word of God to inflame our interior life, for the word of God to capture our imagination with the life and a vision of Jesus so that we can know who he is, know who we are, and know what we're called to do. It is our inheritance for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we can know God more. And that happens, I believe, when we read the Bible. See, it is, it is our inheritance, friends, for the scriptures, for the conversation of heaven, that's what it is. The conversation of heaven to deliver us from all of the false narratives of our day that we live in. See, the scriptures deliver us from all of the false conversations and the false reality. The disciples, they were living according to a false reality. They were living to a reality of what they thought was happening in the natural, but God himself operates in the supernatural. The disciples were on the road discussing and arguing and getting frustrated around the things that had happened in the earthly realm Jesus had died. They did not know and they were living according to a false narrative. But Jesus arrives on the scene, gives them the word of God and creates a new narrative around the ways of him and the kingdom and the eyes of their hearts are enlightened. They see him and they have a burning passion deep within their hearts. They were living according to a false narrative. And the scriptures deliver us from all of the counsel of the ungodly, from all of the Twitterville and Facebookville and Instagramville that we are surrounded with, the scriptures deliver us from the false narrative of our day. And I believe that God wants to release fascination and burning and thrill and wonder and awe and gratitude with the Bible in the person of Christ so that the eyes of our hearts can be enlightened so that me and you can know God more. I believe God wants to capture us up in a different conversation. It's a conversation with heaven and it's given to us in the Bible. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the goal of the word of God is for our hearts to be set on fire? 
Not so that we can be really clever and academic and like have good arguments with non-Christians because like we know all the Bible verses. No, so that our hearts can be set on fire so that you can know God more. It's not about more knowledge. It's really about more of God in your life. Do you want him? Do you want him? Because that's the goal. We encounter Jesus in the word and then we just burn. We burn with passion and desire and longing and love. We know who he is. I believe Jesus wants to take little old you and little old me and he wants to blow our freaking minds with the Bible. (laughs) Can I say freaking in the church? I don't know. (laughs) Cut that out the recording. Psalm 119 says, open, the, open my eyes that I may, I may see wondrous things from your law. You're talking about the, the Bible. Open my eyes so that I may see the wondrous things in your word. God wants to restore wonder to the eyes of the church. We are way too boring, friends. Way too boring. God wants to restore wonder to the eyes of the church. And I believe it's gonna happen when we start to see a reformation around reading the Bible. I wanna tell you the Bible is not boring, we are. <laughs> See, when the Bible is boring, it just shows what we've been eating. We tell kids, I tell my kids, you can't eat chocolate all day and then expect to have any appetite for dinner and expect to be well-nourished. You just can't do it. You can't eat sweets and chocolate or candy and chocolates all day long, you can't do it. We've been sitting around eating the pleasures of this age, consuming the rubbish information that's out there the stupid false stories that the media puts out. We're consuming ourselves with, we're we're, we're spending our time consuming what celebrities and pop culture and who knows what else, creating narratives that are false and we're letting that be the narrative from which we live, move and have our being. We're consuming small little sound bites from Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and then we have no real appetite for the real pleasures that are given to us in God's word. We, we've, we've, we've messed up our concentration spans because we can't read more than like 150 characters. You know, it's like, oh, I can't spend a lot of time reading the Bible. I don't concentrate for that long. That's not the Bible's fault. That's our fault. We can't concentrate long enough because we've been malnourished. We're just like, oh, I want to encounter Jesus and I want to hear from God, but oh, I'm so lazy to pick up the Bible. It's so, so hard read. Come on, friends. We need a bigger vision for our lives. You need to, we need to have a bigger vision for our lives. We need a bigger vision than just making it through the day. We need a bigger vision than just like qualifying and finding a nice job so we can have nice kids and a nice house and a nice car and then die. We need a bigger vision than just getting our kids through school and paying our bills. We need a bigger vision than just consuming the pleasures of this day. We need lives of wonder and passion and awe consumed by the love of Christ. I want my life to be filled with desire and amazement and dreams fulfilled and miracles and prayers answered and the supernatural and encounter with Jesus. That's what I want for you and that's what I want for me. I want a life of the supernatural, not so that I can be weird, but so I can just be the kind of church that God envisioned we should be. I think when God envisioned, yeah, thank you. Honestly, friends, I don't think Jesus hung on a cross so that we could have nice coffee and a good children's church and a nice venue. I think he did it so we could live lives of passion and excitement and awe and wonder and we could see kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. 
here's the problem. We haven't built the place for the words of God, the words of heaven to break into my heart. We haven't created space in our lives for the narrative of the kingdom to become the narrative of my life. Too busy consuming the pleasures of this day. So how do we expect the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so we can know God more when we do nothing about it? Prophet Jeremiah, you can read the story, you're running out of time, I'll skip through it. The prophet Jeremiah, he's a prophet in Israel in the Old Testament. Israel's in an hour of crisis. There's a whole lot of stuff happening that's causing difficulty for the people of God. And in Jeremiah chapter six, he tells the people that their inability to hear God and correctly interpret the season was due to the fact that they did not delight in God's word. So, Though they agreed, there were spiritual laws and reforms being put in place by the spiritual leaders, they agreed with all of it. In their hearts, they did not really wanna hear what God had to say. And so there was a lack of the word of God in the land. And it's interesting to realize that out of all of the things, you read the story of Jeremiah, out of all of the things that Jeremiah could have highlighted as a crisis or a problem during the day, the thing he he emphasizes is the people's lack of delight in the word of God. He says that that's the thing causing all the problems. See, they did not love God's word and they had not learned to recognize and hear God's speech. They did not recognize his speech. By the way, who would like to hear the audible voice of God? Anyone in this room? Just a few of us, okay, cool. I would love to hear the audible. Can I tell you how you do it? Simple, foolproof. Take the Bible, read it out loud. It's the word of God, you'll hear it out loud. That's the audible voice of God. Kind of tongue in cheek, but also true. So so that was the greatest crisis in Jeremiah's day, and I'm convinced it's the greatest crisis in our day as well. People don't know the Bible. We've taken the Bible out of schools. Children don't know the Bible stories. We don't know the characters of the scriptures. We just don't know the Bible, and I believe it's a crisis in our day. In the beginning of human history in the Garden of Eden, God made it really clear. He said, eat of this tree and live, eat of this tree and die. The words of, of, uh, his words to Adam and Eve were not suggestions or ideas. They were just simply difference between life and death, his words. Right? When God called Abraham to leave his father's house, uh, his response, Abraham's response to determine whether or not, uh, would determine whether or not he would experience eternal separation from God or eternal unity with God. His life was dependent upon how he would respond to the call of God in his words. In the wilderness, God made it clear to the children of Israel that the only way that they would inherit the promises of God that were given to Abraham would be through learning to live by every word that came from the mouth of God. So the word of God, friends, is not casual. It's not an opinion. The word of God is everything. It's everything. So I'm gonna invite Isaac and Emily to come back up, the band come up. I just wanna tell you that I can personally testify to this. Like I said, nothing has changed my life more like taking up my Bible, closing my eyes, and speaking these words by the power of the Holy Spirit back over my life. The, the words of God have changed me, convicted me, confronted me, resisted me, washed me, cleansed me, set me free, empowered me, uh, delivered me, and set me on a course for the rest of my life. And God's words get into my mouth and then get into my heart and then I use these very same words that carry power to pray over my family, over my life, pray these words back to God, I am changed, I tell you. It does not happen overnight, it does not happen immediately, but it happens gradually, day by day, bit by bit. As we establish rhythms and routines of opening up God's word and delighting in God's word, allowing the eyes of my heart to be enlightened and I know him more. Corey Russell says this, he says, the church today is filled with people who are spiritually starving while stuffed with every physical comfort. We have fattened bodies and famished souls. Our hearts are dry, broken, defeated, and deteriorating. Many of our marriages are in shambles. Our children are addicted to video games, movies, and entertainment, and they have no desire for God. 
Our lives are consumed by the demands of work and the need to pay for the stuff that we have accumulated. We have neglected our calling, failed to respond to the simplicity of God's word. Do this and live, do that and die. What's the vision for our lives? Pleasures and comfort of this age? To have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so we can know God more. Do you want more of God in your life? I believe that the, the best thing that I can do as a pastor is the best thing I can offer you or the best thing I can teach you or the best thing I can show you is how to have a vibrant life with God. Not like moral things. I can just show you like, here's Jesus, point to him, this is how you do it. And the best way that I know how to do that is to encourage you to get before God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you can know him more. So to end, I just wanna read a chunk of scripture over us. I'm just gonna believe what the Bible tells us, that the word of God has power and authority and it does something to our hearts. And then we're gonna enter into a time of communion. And I'm just gonna invite you to, uh, to close your eyes. And I just wanna read a chunk of scripture over us and just trust that the Holy Spirit will like speak to you in some way through this passage. Because like I can say a bunch of stuff that can encourage us, but it's the word of God that has power, right? And so I'm just gonna practice what I preach. I'm just gonna read a passage of scripture over us and trust that the Bible revealed Jesus to you. So that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened that we would know God more. Psalm 103, it's just one of my favorite passages. I just chose it because I love it. And let's pray, Holy Spirit, that as we have these words wash over us, you just meet each one of us where we're at. Just enlighten the eyes of our hearts. My soul, bless the Lord. All that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord. And do not forget all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He was dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaired us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His faithful love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear Him and His righteousness towards the grandchildren of those who keep His covenants, who remember to observe His precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all His angels of great strength who do His word, obedient to His command. Bless the Lord, all His armies, His servants who do His will. 
bless the Lord all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.